It was July 14, 1776, 10 days after the Declaration of Independence was signed, and Jemima Boone finds herself on a dare in a canoe with two of her friends, Jemima Boone, uh, Betsy, and Fanny Calloway. Now, actually, the Calloways and the uh, Boones were a bit of a, well, Daniel Boone and the father of the Calloway family were kind of antagonistic rivals in the town of Boonesboro, which you can go to today. It's on the Kentucky River. At any rate, the side of the river that the fort was on, And when I say fort, we don't think of fort in the way that we think of fort. We think more of a collection of villages, rather houses, banded together so that, you know, there was some security. That was safe. On the other side was danger. And so on a dare, Jemima Boone, whose nickname was Duck because she loved the water so very much, took a canoe with her two friends and crossed the river whereupon they were encountered by a Cherokee individual by the name of Hanging Ma. Now, Hanging Ma knew who Jemima Boone was and captured her along with her two daughters, and Jemima has an instantaneous decision to make when she is asked, who are you and who are these people with you? Does she tell them the truth and say they're the Callaways, or does she identify them as her sisters? She ties, decides to do the latter, because she knows Hanging Ma, she has met him before in her house. Her dad and Hanging Ma are actually friends, have worked together, but at this particular time, there's a challenge, because the Cherokees don't want white people moving into their territory. And so they think if they capture the Boone kids, they will have an opportunity to leverage and negotiate and get Boonesboro to be no more. It's recorded in the book, The Taking of Jemima Boone, book report today, highly recommended. It's very intriguing. A lot of stuff is going on in the book, okay? It's actual history. It's not just the parts of history that we like, and so there's a lot of things that are going on. But the story as it matters today is that Jemima Boone, from the moment she is captured, does everything to stay alive, does everything to keep hope alive. And so she would break branches in the direction that she was traveling. She would try to slow down along with her two friends, Fanny and Betsy, and try to delay because she believed that her father would come after her. In fact, she took the, um, the little string off of her, um, what is it, a bonnet? Must be a bonnet, right? Took the string off of her bonnet, tied five knots in it, and left it by the side of the road, hoping that her father would understand that they had been taken captive by Hanging Ma and four other associates, a total of five Indians. The intriguing of the nature of the story is absolutely amazing. If you like history, if you like kind of kidnapping, well, maybe not like kidnapping, because that might make you a felon. But you get what I'm saying, right? It's just, I just groove on this kind of stuff, right? The Taking of Jemima Boom by Matthew Pearl. Grab it if you want. The text, we've already read it. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. I've mentioned it before that my dad absolutely loved babies. I mean, he absolutely loved babies. He, uh, he had this little saying because he kind of came from a family where, where some things, times things happened out of order a little bit. He would say, uh, when it comes to babies, the first baby can come at any time. The second one always takes nine months. Because he loved the gift of life. He loved life. It kind of informed my values and, 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 and the reality. And, and he said this, right, to, to convey some grace and compassion to the challenges of being young and pregnant, right? But the reality remains. When you find out a proud pregnancy, 
whether it's less than nine months or whether it's more than nine months, you have to wait. You're forced to wait for the child to make its entrance. And while that time can be a period of great excitement for most, it is still a waiting game for the mother, a child growing inside. From those initial senses that something is clearly different to the obvious physical, emotional, and spiritual realities that a child is growing inside of her. To the outside world. It it, it can remain a bit of a mystery, right? It's insider information. My dad would have a a phrase for this too. My dad would say, the child is just just a twinkle in my eye. But sooner or later, it becomes known. If the mom is coy, the observant person might wonder, No. No. You you never ask. You never, ever, ever ask. Unless, of course, you are encountering her in some sort of medical context, okay? If it's an emergent situation, you are a physician, you are a healthcare professional, you're a nurse, and you're like, are you pregnant? You can ask then. Otherwise, you don't ask. You keep your mouth shut, especially if you are a male. (laughs) Keep your mouth shut. Be patient. Hope for the best. Pray for the best. And that is a hard thing, right? Because we live wanting to know. We live wanting to be certain. Ambiguity is so difficult. Is she pregnant? Is she not pregnant? What should I want to know? It's not your information. Wait. Now imagine, if previous pregnancies had ended in miscarriage, imagine if in the past there had been complication and loss. Imagine how hard it might be then to wait with hope that this time, this pregnancy, would end with a child alive and strong. The context of Isaiah chapter 9 is not a 40-week gestation, but one that spans hundreds of years from when the birth was first announced to when the child was actually conceived to when the child was carried to term and born. And the picture, right, is, is darkness. And in this darkness, a common metaphor throughout the Bible, light comes, a spotlight is shown. It's, it's kind of headlights on, like driving here this morning. It was still dark. Headlights illuminating a small area, but unmistakable, right? Inherent in the mood of being in darkness and this light shining is this cry of the people. How long do we have to wait? And the response is patience, is, is trust, is hope. How long have you waited for something? I mean, I mean, right now, what are we waiting for? Are, are we waiting for, for, for something good that we know can happen? And so, so we're waiting for that good thing to happen? Perhaps you're with child. I won't ask you. You can tell me. Or perhaps we're waiting for a bad thing, right? A friend of mine this last week got this cancer diagnosis. Stage four, pancreatic cancer. The medical community says it's a death sentence. 
waiting. Waiting for a result, sometimes a result that we want, sometimes waiting for a result that we fear. Are we patient? Do we trust? Can we live with hope? The text is in the past tense, as though the thing that is described has already happened. Which is odd, right? Because it hasn't happened. It's hundreds of years before it will happen. The text is in the past tense. As though to say, this is as good as done. A new day dawning. The beginning of the end of darkness. The names of God that start in verse 6. We understand it to be a son, right? Unto you a son we born. But, but this is unlike any other human being to this point. Government on his shoulder? What in the world does that mean? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the names of God, the names of this child. Wonderful counselor. We might immediately jump to the person who gives us good advice, correct advice, okay? The, the listening ear, the one that would challenge us to live in a certain way. And, and yes, that's, that would certainly be accurate of what this child will do. But specifically, the Hebrew means a wonder-working planner, which I think is just wonderful. The plan that is recorded in Isaiah chapter 9, is of a child that will be born who will be a wonder-working planner. Mighty God. God Almighty? Without question. A God in which we can trust. And we say that, right? We say that. We say that we're Christian and we say that we trust God. And then invariably, we want to like control everything, right? We want to manage it down to a level of detail because we're so smart. Current issue in the Wall, uh, current article in the Wall Street Journal by a, James, name, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jason Zweig, Z-W-E-I-G. I can send you the link if you want. The title of it is GE and the Belief in Management Magic. General Electric, for decades, the model of the modern corporation is over. <laughs> Perhaps you heard like all these breakups, right? GE, Johnson & Johnson, there's a couple of other ones. GE's corporate culture prided itself on elevating management to a kind of science. We would, we would look and, and we would read articles about Jack Welch and we'd be like, oh, he's like God. He's so amazing. And I say it with tongue-in-cheek, but no, I read books about this cat. I was like, man, if I could lead like him. G's corporate culture prided itself on elevating management to a kind of science. The dissolution of the company, however, points to a reality many executives don't like to admit. Management matters a lot. 
but it doesn't matter as much as you think, especially if you're management. Economic and business cycles are often more important to a company than what its managers do. And the struggle to undo what their predecessors did can saddle managers with so great a burden they can't possibly accomplish what they otherwise might. It's an intriguing article. I mean, especially if you grew up on a diet of reading management books in the 90s about, oh, yeah, the economy's booming like there's no tomorrow. If you can't make money in that environment, so says the article, there's something wrong with you. So industrial conglomerates are on the wane, at least for now. The myth that great management can always work miracles should be too. And I say this not to denigrate capitalism. That's for another time and another place if we want to have that discussion. I say this because we want to be in control. And we think we are so smart. And we are. And we think we are so well-educated. And we are. And we think we are so successful. And we are. And none of that matters in this game. None of it. The text invites us to trust God Almighty. I don't care about our capability as a collective group of people to do good, which is good. It's huge. It's giant. And we should do good with the good we can do. But when we place our trust in our ability we're substituting an inferior God for God Almighty. And it doesn't mean that I shouldn't engage with life. No. Within the bounds of enhancing Jesus Christ's reputation, I should try to make the world around me a little bit more redemptive. And I try to. In some way, you could argue it's what I've given my life to. And I know there's people here that have given their life to doing good with the abilities that they have. But I also know not every wrong gets solved. And intractable problems are just that. And many factors enter into a complex reality that is very simple. I am not in control, but I can live with hope. I can pray with perseverance. I can act with righteous and justice in God's sense of those words. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father. I love this one. It's the commitment for the long haul, okay? It, it's not so much speaking to the eternality of God, the infinity of God, which is true. I affirm that. Don't get me wrong. It, it's an everlasting Father. It's a Father who's always there. I joke, okay? I joke, I joke, I joke. I say my parents, especially my dad, left me 21 years ago. I blame a lot of stuff on him, okay? It's a joke, okay? Yeah, because physical fathers die. Physical mothers die. They're with us for a period of time. They provide insight, guidance, direction. Perhaps after they have gone, their memory still lingers, right? But this is an everlasting father. A word, a description applied to the son. A commitment for the long haul. An everlasting father who's not going to bail when things get tough, who's not going to bail when we make poor choices. How many poor choices have I made? The Father, the Son, the Spirit never bailed on me. Everlasting Father, wanting, playing the long game, waiting for the children to come home. 
waiting for complete redemption still in the future. Waiting for complete restoration still in the future. Waiting for complete resolution still in the future. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, a commander of well-being. The end of hostilities, Golding J says. A, a fullness, a completeness, a, a, a well-ordered, a, a predictably just justice and righteousness redeemed the way things will be. If you want to take the biggest view of, of the Bible, take the biggest view of the Bible and you'd see this meta-narrative. You would see things start out as perfect and then they fall into disarray and then ultimately things are made perfect again. So things started in the beginning the way that they should be. Creation was good. That's why humans have value. That's why I have a uniform value of human life. Humans are good. They are created in the image of God. It is good. And then there's this period of time which we find ourselves in, in which to various degrees, things are really messed up. And ultimately, things are made right again. From the way things should be to the way things should not be, back to the way that things should be. Prince of peace, the things for which we should have hope. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. An increasing rule and reign and peace. It's why I'm so firmly resolved that the physical kingdoms of this world, including this nation in which I live and love, are not totally in line with this kingdom because these qualities are not displayed in the world as we understand it or experience it. The line of David. And then there's this order, right? It's kind of like in a restaurant. Tanya and I just spent a couple weeks out in Savannah, Georgia. We'd never been to Savannah, Georgia. Actually, we were on Tybee Island, and, and we tried out all these new restaurants, right? And so you look at the menu, and you're like thinking, what am I going to have? Well, I think I'm going to have the 24-day-aged New York Strip, because that looks amazing, right? Well, what am I going to get for sides? Well, let's start off with some cold smoked mackerel, which was absolutely amazing, and then some steamed leeks, which were beyond belief. I mean, just like vegetables, they tasted so amazingly good. But we're not talking about food. Order is the new order. Established, upheld. And, and the sides? The sides are, are justice and righteousness. Please understand, when, when the Bible talks about justice, it's talking about justice for the weak and the oppressed. For, for the Bible, justice isn't a rich dude getting off on a technicality of the law. That, that's not justice, okay, in the biblical sense, okay? Justice isn't someone walking on a technicality. That's not justice, okay? Justice frequently, almost always, is for the weak and the impressed, both in a physical sense as well as a spiritual sense. I won't do a deep dive on this, but maybe you saw the article this last week, Kevin Strickland, imprisoned in Missouri for 43 years for being an accomplice in a triple homicide that he was not accomplice to. He was sentenced to life in prison for his role in a triple homicide that he wasn't active in any way, shape, or form. He was released. The eyewitness, whose testimony placed him at the scene of the crime, said actually it wasn't him. 
justice for the weak, for the oppressed. Righteousness, living the right way, and zeal. Zeal, the passion, the passion to execute. The idea is when when you discover something that you really, really like to do, and you're like, you don't even sleep the night before because you're so excited to get in the game the next morning, you're just like, oh, this is going to be a good day. This is just going to be magical. That's the idea here. That this is executed with this passion, this excitement, this delight. Talking about the reign and the rule of the Son who will be born that we understand is Jesus Christ. She knew her father would come. In fact, later in the book, there's an incident where Daniel Boone is uh, held captive in, in, in a weird economy of things. He's, he's held captive by another tribe of Indians, and he becomes actually an adopted son. It's just mind-blowing. you got to check out the book if you enjoy this kind of stuff. At any rate, but she knew her dad would come. And so she did whatever it took to stay alive. She, she had this long, cascading, dark hair, right, okay? And, and it was viewed as hanging ma as something that was very attractive, very desirable, something that made her very powerful, even though she was probably only 12 or 13 years of age. And there's some hint, there's some suggestion that hanging ma even might have fallen in love with her and invited her to groom him, like pick out licensed stuff in his head, and that seems weird to us, but they did it back then, and it worked, and all that kind of stuff. She did whatever it took to stay alive because she believed her father would come for her. And I give you that. I give you that hope as we start this Advent season. Whatever it takes to live, live. Whatever it takes to enhance the reputation of Jesus Christ, do it because we wait with a hope and an expectancy, not for the first coming, but for the second advent. We wait with hope because the Father is going to come for us. Please pray with me. Father, as we begin this Advent season and celebrate the fulfillment of prophecy and the gift of the incarnate Son, Father, we we wait and we hope at different stations, at different places, And some of us are waiting, O great God, and our hearts are broken because the news is overbearing and foreboding and heavy and it weighs on us. Will you remind us through your Spirit that even though our temporary station is pain, the ultimate reality is that you come to give us justice and righteousness to the oppressed soul. 
And for some of us, oh great God, life could not be better. And may we take the good times in life as a hint, as as just the average so tiny glimmer of what will be when we are with you at the end of all things. Let us live with hope even when we find ourselves incredibly prosperous. For all of us, oh great God, this hope is discovered through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that offer. May we accept the gift. In Jesus' name, amen.